On today's show, our guest is Michelle Dale. Michelle left the UK in 2005 at the age of 23 with the dream to pursue real freedom from the shackles of a boss, the corporate world, and a job. Michelle is the founder of Virtual Miss Friday, which is an online business consultancy and academy with built-in virtual assistant services. She's also the founder and creator of OneSourcing, which is a business that specializes in helping and servicing high net worth business owners. She's grown a successful online service and digital product business, all while traveling and living abroad full-time. She's also kept very busy raising her three children with her husband. Michelle's go-all-in story is one of guts, determination, and a deep-seated desire for freedom and to never go back to the way things were. Her happy, methodical, and fun approach to life is infectious, and I know that you're going to enjoy this interview. I'm excited she's here, so please help me in welcoming Michelle Dale. Hey, are you totally committed? Are you playing full out? Are you all in? Hi, my name is Robert Brass, and this is the Go All In podcast. Join me as we explore amazing stories of success, heartache, and absolute triumph by those who have gone all in. I'm glad you're here, so let's get to it and do whatever it takes to go all in and create the life of your dreams. Well, good day, Michelle. Great to have you on the show. Good day. Thank you so much for having me. I love it when Australians <laughs> Good day. <laughs> I do that deliberately to all my British guests because I always get the good response there at the start. Well, I like to start off the show with all of my guests with a quick little get to know you quiz. It helps us calm down a little bit, calms our nerves, it warms us up, and maybe the people listening in will learn something about you that they don't already know. So, you ready? I'm ready. All right. Just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. It's in no particular order, and it might seem a bit random too, but let's see. Do you prefer coaching or mentoring people? Mentoring. Do you prefer working with businesses or with individuals? Individuals. What about public speaking or writing? Writing. Well, that was like, yeah, you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say public speaking, so probably that would have been my first answer, and then I changed my mind. You always get a kick out of public speaking, but it's also the solitude of writing is fun too, but sometimes it feels like shouting down an empty hallway no one gives you any feedback. (laughs) I like the flexibility of writing more than yeah, public speaking. <laughs> I think so as well. Can you sing? Um, a little bit. <laughs> don't ask me to sing that. You're not going to give me a few bars. Don't worry. I'm not going to ask you. Can you play an instrument? Um, used to. A long used time to. ago. What did you play? Yeah. I played the clarinet and the trombone. Oh, like in a brass band? In an orchestra. <laughs> oh, not in a, you weren't in a marching band or nothing like that? No, no, no. It was a school orchestra. So, like, I haven't played since I was 16 years School. <laughs> Ever want to take it up again? I don't think so. No, I don't have time these days. Crikey. You could take the trombone up. That'll annoy everybody, especially the kids. Yeah, and also the neighbours and probably yeah. everyone for the next <laughs> four or five miles radius. <laughs> funny, funny. Hey, would you say you're old school or new age? New age. Would you prefer to be in the office working away or be out networking, meeting new people? Depends where the office is. I'd say networking, I suppose. <laughs> networking. You don't really have an office, right? I don't. No, it's wherever I happen to be. Yeah, <laughs> it can yeah. be outside, inside. Cool. Yeah. Well, last one. It's a serious one. If you could go back in time and spend 10 minutes with anybody from history, who would you go and hang out with? My dad. Would you go and hang out with your dad? Yeah. <laughs> he's not with us anymore? No, he's not. What would you say to him? 
<laughs> what would I say to him? I would ask him what happened. <laughs> it's, our, our circumstances are really odd because we hadn't been in contact for a while and I didn't know he died until three months later and I still don't know precisely how he died or anything like that. So I'm very curious about that. So you go back and get, where the hell have you been, man? What happened? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think you were doing? Nice right? one. Nice one. Well, that's a very touching <laughs> thing. Thank you for sharing that with us. Will people come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in? So if you could, Michelle, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Sure. Well, there's one that obviously really sticks out for me. It was the most impactful one in my life. One day I came home to find that my house had been robbed. I came back from work. The door was off its hinges. There was stuff in my front garden. My house was pretty much empty. And I remember sort of in the aftermath of this experience, I was walking around my house sort of seeing what I could potentially salvage, which wasn't very much at all. And I had a home office and literally everything was taken out of my home office, like utility bills and all these state bank statements and birth certificate and all my identification. And then on the floor, I found my passport. And it was just at that moment, I just had an epiphany, like this is my push. This is my sign that I've got to make a move. So the next day, literally the next day, without talking to anyone, without telling anyone what had happened, I walked into my job. I quit my job. I walked down to the estate agent. I put my house on the market, arranged someone to come out to put my house on the market. And I went to the travel agent and I asked for a one-way ticket to Egypt for exactly three months later, which was the day before my 24th birthday. So that was kind of like my go all in because I told everybody afterwards, you know, like this is what I'm doing because I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want anyone to talk me out of it. I'd made my decision. By the way, my house is robbed and now I'm going to go and move to Egypt on a one way ticket. <laughs> Why did you pick Egypt? Have you got relatives there? Are you from there? No, I'd been there the year before for a two weeks holiday and I just remember feeling so amazing here, the sun and it was so cheap and, you know, I thought to myself, is anywhere I'm going to go that's cheap and sunny and I can figure out what I'm going to do with my life, that's the place that I want to be. So that, that's why I chose Egypt. And then literally the moment I arrived here, I knew that I never, ever wanted to go back to my previous life. I never wanted to go back to my nine to five. I never wanted to live that existence ever again, which was the motivating factor for me to find a location independent business that I could create for myself, where I could be my own boss, where I didn't have to be any particular place, any particular time. And it was really the most incredible experience of my life to be able to do that. I knew nothing about working online and nothing about what I was doing really. I was kind of feeling my way around and stumbling around for a while, but I did it and it was the most life-changing thing ever. How long were you there when you just went, I'm not going back? I stayed in Egypt for two and a half years at that period of time. When you first got there and you decided oh. you didn't want to go back to the UK, were you like one day there, one weekend, or were you a little while there? It was the moment the plane landed, like literally. <laughs> no way. Did yeah, yeah, like literally. Did, was it a conscious decision? Or? Yeah, it was. It was like a huge energy shift. It was like there, this entire weight had just immediately been lifted off the moment the plane landed. And I walked out. I, was, I remember walking down the steps of the plane to come out of the plane, knowing that I wasn't going back, that, that this, this was it for me. And, did you and I didn't know what Cairo? I was going to do. 
Were you in Cairo? I landed in, no, I landed in Luxor. That's where I decided to stay. So um, I've never been for... to Egypt, but I've got a lot of mates that have been there and have been there a lot. And it's a pretty chaotic place, right? In Cairo, for sure, it's chaotic. But, you know, like if you come to Upper Egypt, I mean, there's so many different areas of the country that have very different auras about them. You know, like Cairo and Alexandria are very busy. Mm. Alexandria is a little bit like Europe. You know, like I found it a little bit like Europe. Luxor and Oswan and, you know, like all down south of the Nile, they're much more rural, you know, like it's much more peaceful. And then you've got the Red Sea, which is, you know, like snorkeling and diving and, you know, like sailing and yachting and kiteboarding, which is kind of where I am now, which is I'm in love with. <laughs> I, I always think that life changing things happen and you don't realize because a decision happens just in a second. Like you just yeah. make a decision and you're like, and did you decide like the plane landed? That's it. I'm, yeah. I'm just not going back to my life in the UK and I'm just, I'm, that's it. Yeah. It was just the feeling when I landed, when I got off that plane, that feeling, it was something that I needed in my life, but I didn't know I needed it until I had it. And then once I had it, I didn't want to let it go. I wanted to keep it. And yeah, so for me, it was just like, this is it for me. There's no going back. And I didn't know what was going to happen on the other side of that plane, you know, like on the other side of that airport. Yeah, I just knew that I didn't want to have that life that I had in the UK anymore. It was time. Were you by yourself? Yep. You, weren't, you hadn't met your husband at that stage? No, I was completely alone. I was a single girl there for just over two years man and you'd only been there for a couple of weeks before that really is a an all-in proposition isn't it i mean traveling traveling and traveling the world people travel by themselves all the time but making a decision not to go back that is really all in so how long were you there by the time you kind of got on your feet and became that digital nomad and started to make some money and stuff how long did that take you I started making money almost immediately, really, because I was just hustling and doing everything, you know, like, Love so it. for the, cause I didn't have a job, <laughs> I didn't have a job yeah. and I needed some money because I didn't really have any money. So I thought to myself, what can I do? So I started looking around on the internet. This was 2005. So, I mean, there was no social media. There was nothing that you could really go to for ideas or there wasn't mm -hmm. people doing online programming courses or anything like that. So I started looking online and I found eBay and I thought, well, I've, I bought a few things on eBay before. I'll go down to this bazaar, which was at the end of my street. I'll photograph every rug. I'll put it all on eBay and I'll see if anyone wants to buy them. And did that? And they did. <laughs> they that did. easy? That <laughs> <laughs> like, should have gone five years before. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that easy? I mean, I didn't, I didn't make loads of money off of it, obviously, but yeah. there was people who did, did buy rugs. It did actually tide me over because... The flat that I was renting, it was only £50 a month for a two-bedroom flat. So I only actually needed 300 £400 to live really, really well at that time. Fantastic, right? Really fantastic. Yeah. No wonder you picked there. I can understand that completely. There's a huge congregation you would know of digital nomads moving to Thailand. There's a lot of Aussie yeah. guys. A lot of my mates actually picked up and kind of moved and they said, oh, you should come over, come and live right on the beach, you know, for 400 bucks a month and you have a maid and a house and all the food you can eat and you have all of these things. Yeah. And it's, yeah, okay. It's kind of it's a good idea if you don't have kids in school and stuff like that. But no, no, no. Oh, well, I don't know. I got kids in school. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I will say I was in Bali last year and, and there was a lot of Australians out there doing very similar things in yeah. Bali. I met a lot of nice Aussies out there. 
Yeah, where you get a little bit more bang for your buck. That's definitely a place for digital nomads and that's where they congregate. That's awesome. So tell me about Virtual Miss Friday and was that something that you'd set up in that time frame or in that couple of years that you were there or had that evolved over a period of time? How did that happen for you? Friday came about when I'd been in Egypt about four months. Not long at all. So, you don't no, muck around, do you? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get things done. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a bit of a powerhouse when it comes to things like that. But um, I knew that I didn't want to do eBay forever. Yeah. And I was doing odd jobs here and there, things that I could find. But, you know, like there was nothing like I would say, like, this is my legacy. You know, this is what I'm going to do. And I knew I needed a business. So I just started researching online and I found sort of a lot of internet marketing, blogging style stuff around that time. I didn't think that was for me, but then I came across virtual assistants and like literally I just knew immediately. I'm very, like I run on instinct a lot, you know, it's like if it feels right, I just like that's it. That's what I'm going to do. So it felt right. I thought, right, I can be a virtual assistant. I've got a lot of skills that can be translated into online. I just have to figure out how to do it. So I started after four months, I bought my domain. And then I started learning how to build websites so I could build my own website. I started learning how to do Photoshop and Dreamweaver and all these different things and figuring out how I was going to work with clients online. So I was in Egypt and figuring out how it's logistically how it was going to work. And yeah, so within a year, I started earning some money from within a year from moving there from that business because I had so much to learn. I spent about six, seven months just purely like, immersing myself into learning how I was going to set this business up and how it was going to work. And then, yeah, it was about a year in that that business took off. Did you know anything about business before doing that? No, nothing. Not, nothing at all. <laughs> yeah. So I left school at 16 mm-hmm. and I was just like job to job for probably until I was about 18, 19. And then I landed a job in a bank. Uh, I basically stayed in finance until I left um, I left the UK. So um, I did sort of office jobs and office management jobs and stuff like that. But in terms of being able to starting and running a business, I hadn't, hadn't been down that road. I did business studies at school, but, you know, like I got a B and then you leave at 16, you forget everything that they taught you. So, and then you realize when you're an entrepreneur, none of it is applicable anyways. <laughs> and what about, did you have some staff? How long was it before you started employing people and offloading their services and winning more business that way? Yeah, I started hiring team in six months of starting to like really make some money in the business. So yeah, it was really within six months from when things sort of took off. I started hiring my first team member, then another one. And I went up to about 30 at one point. And then now I'm back down to around 20. You were all in on virtually every every turn, every twist and turn in that business, there's such a learning curve there for you. What were you like with staff when you yeah. first started to have people? Did you find you were a good manager or you were a bad manager? Was that you needed some more skills? How did you go with that? That's very hard to do. That's why I asked. Yeah. Well, I really threw myself in the deep end because I knew that I needed a team. And then, you know, like, the four hour work week came out and then I was like, okay, I'm going to go and hire like people from third world countries and this is going to be great and things like that. So that was my first very steep learning curve that you can't just go and hire people from third world countries and have them work the same way that you work. So yeah, I, I had a very steep learning curve 
particularly with, you know, like people from Philippines and India, nothing against them. I've had some great people from those countries, but if you don't know how to work with them, you don't know how to manage them, you don't know how to pick the right people, it can be disastrous. You can lose a lot of money that way. So once I was able to hire multiple different people and establish how to hire good people, how to train those people online remotely, how to have them work with other people in the team and things like that, how to project manage, how to, you know, like then it all kind of fell into place and, you know, and now it's golden. I mean, I have a great team and I actually now teach people how to hire other people through our programs and courses as well. So although it was a disaster at the start, I never see anything as, as a disaster because now I'm like, really hot at hiring people so now I get paid to help other people do it <laughs> I, I interviewed an RAAF fighter part a couple of weeks ago and he said to me in the air force they don't say the word mistake they just say yeah. all the, when so after they come back from a sortie they debrief each other obviously when you're training and he says that they talk about all the things that went right and the other things and yeah. I believe that holds so true in business and across every aspect of my business in particular is I don't like you. I don't look at the mistakes that have happened or the errors that continue to happen as problematic. They're just reasons to learn and reasons to put better systems in place and to do that. However painful that might be, it doesn't dull the fact that it's painful when things go wrong or you lose a client, you lose money or someone shouts down the end of the phone at you for whatever reason. It is what it is, but it's just an opportunity to learn. I would also say as well that, you know, like I always think to myself, whenever a challenge is arising or a mistake happens or I have to deal with something like that, there's always a thought that goes on in the back of my mind, like this is going to make me stronger, you know, yeah. and if, if I can be a stronger person, I can have a stronger business and I can be a stronger boss. And, you know, like, so yeah, it, setbacks are actually very necessary in order to succeed. And I think many people understand that. They think, oh, I failed. I've, it's done. I've, I've had, you know, like this mistake happened. It shouldn't have happened. And, and they really beat themselves up about it. But in actual fact, it's kind of, I can see it as a progression. Yeah, well, it's, it's easy to chuck it in. It's easy to throw your hands yeah. up and go, oh, man, that, that really sucked. But, you know, the test of your character is to be able to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and then keep moving forward. I always say it, it doesn't really matter what goes wrong. It matters how you handle it and how you handle the issue with the customer, with the client, and then how you handle yourself and and move on. That's a test of your character for sure. When your business started to develop and suddenly you're working through eight, 10, 11 things every 10 minutes, because that's what happens to small business owners as they grow. How did you handle that? The fact that you've got to be like an octopus and juggle 10 different things at once throughout the day. When did you realize that you kind of needed a hand? I think it was when I got to the point, I mean, in my business, particularly, it was when I got to the point where I was really realizing that there were no more hours in the day. And ran out. <laughs> I that was it. ran out. And it was also, you know, like when you realize you're not doing as good a job as you want to. Mm. And that, that was more so for me. It's like, I'm not doing a good job if I'm so burnt out from working too many hours. I'm not being the best person I can be if I'm cutting corners or looking for ways to do it, you know, like less quality or cheaper or something like that. So, so for me, it was really that. It was when I started compromising my own standards that I knew I needed to get help. And you're in the business of helping other businesses get help with virtual assistance. Did it take you longer than you thought to turn that insight into yourself, you know? Did it take longer than I thought to turn it inside? I suppose because I never had any 
initial expectation. So I'm not, I wasn't somebody who did this like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to build a business and things like that. I was simply like, oh my God, how am I going to make money so I can travel? So the way my business unfolded, it, it was very much organic. It was never like I had this ambition or this goal and, you know, like this is what I wanted. Now I have plenty of goals because that's one of the mistakes I realized I made, yeah. that not having a goal to start with. But yeah, it was more organic than that. And it just kind of unfolded in, in front of me as and when it did. Well, that's a really, really awesome story. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. I just want to shift focus a little bit and ask you some really direct questions about commitment and about success. And the first one I want to ask you is, why do you think that there's not as many female entrepreneurs as there is male ones? Why do you think that girls don't aim high enough? Well, God, that's a tough question, isn't it? In all honesty, I mean, I think it's because of we're still stuck in so much in the past in these traditional roles of, you know, like women stay at home, men go out to work. In my situation, my husband looks after the children and I run the business and mm -hmm. I hire him to help me in my business and I pay him a salary. So like for me, it's like it's turned on its head, but I don't think there are that many people still out there that are comfortable with that. You know, and also... I don't mean to put women down or anything like that, but there's a lot of women empowerment groups and there's a lot of women who feel hard done by, by men. And, you know, like they're fighting for equality and they're fighting for all these things rather than trying to build themselves up to the same level. It's like they feel like they're entitled to it. And I have a lot of male friends. I like hanging around with males more than women. And I'm a very different type of female. So it's really hard for me to speak for the female population. But I like strong-minded, strong-willed females who don't consider men like the competition or the enemy or anything like that. I like to look at a male and see where he is and try and get past that or, you know, like, so, yeah, I think it's just because we're really still traditional in our mindsets and we're also trying to constantly compete with genders. And I think we need to look at it more as a, an, an even playing field. And frankly, I think the stereotypes are just stupid, if I'm honest about it. Like that's, yeah, exactly. uh, and, and I asked the question for a very poignant reason, because I've got an 11 year old daughter who is turning 12 this year in a couple of months. And she's always asking me, you know, daddy, who are you interviewing today? And I'm interviewing this woman and that woman and this guy and that bloke and that type of thing. And she always asks about the girls, you know, well, what does she do? Is she famous? You know, she loves all this Instagram and musically fame and all this sort of stuff. And I'm sort of like, well, yeah, you know, they're really successful people. They're doing really well for themselves. And I'm really acutely aware of just saying to her that, look, it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl, if your plumbing's different, it doesn't matter. You've still got the same opportunity in this world. And I meet female entrepreneurs like you all the time. And you're exactly the same as the male entrepreneurs that I meet. You just have the same mindset, the same, but there's no limitations. There's no limiting self-beliefs that you have. You know, you can do it just as good as a guy can. You yeah, have yeah. Well, I, right? I also recognize that the different genders have different qualities and yeah. you know we also complement each other very much as well so it's it, i feel like more like we need to be working together rather than you know like try, <laughs> trying to yeah. compete with each other yeah that's it's a silly thing isn't it tell me about your thinking in and around commitment what would you say the top three things are that would come to the front of your mind when i say that word commitment commitment is having a reason why if you cannot sit down and, and say that the reason why I'm doing this 
is essential, it's a must, then, you know, like the, the commitment won't be there. You can say you want stuff, but wanting stuff isn't making it a must. It's not making it essential. So for me, for sure, it, it would be commitment is having that must, having that reason why you must be successful. Well, it sounds like you had a really giant why when the plane landed in Egypt, when you decided to leave. And it was like, I'm not yeah. going back. And that's the whole reason you've got to make this successful. And look, here you are all this time later. And it is, right? It's a, you embody that yeah. perfectly. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's really, you. really, really cool to see that. Tell me about one sourcing. Tell me about that. One sourcing. So one sourcing is basically something that's developed over the last decade of me just immersing myself into online business. You know, like when you're coming into online business out of nowhere, and you, nobody's teaching you it and you're not following any methodology or you're not following any path or program or anything like that. You take a lot of different directions. Like if you're standing there and there's left, right, forward, middle, back, you're taking them all simultaneously sometimes. So the thing that came out of that for me is I gained a lot of experience about what work and with more than 100 clients under my belt now over the years, I also am able to know what works in other businesses, you know, and the issue with a lot of entrepreneurs who are teaching certain directions and teaching certain paths of working is they've kind of done it in their business and then they found out what works for them and then they're teaching it, which is fantastic. I mean, that's exactly what we need. We need to follow mentors. We need to follow their paths. But from my perspective, that isn't the most ideal situation because I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, well, this works for you, but it's not going to work for that person. It's not going to work for that person. You can almost see it like in advance. Mm -hmm. So one sourcing for me was, it was bringing together my experience of working online and having all these different digital businesses that I was working in, that I was observing, that I was doing admin for and marketing for and creative services for. And it was bringing it all together to be able to give people one place where they could work with one person who had a team of people. So we're all on the same page. We're all working together in towards one single goal, which was building a digital business. So that's where one sourcing came from, but it's about the operations management of the business. So it's not just about one person with one team. Mm -hmm. It's about one methodology of having the systems, having the strategy and having the support. So it's basically all about being on one page. And you know, like my operations management background allows me to see that big picture and bring everything together cohesively as one whole. And that's where it came from. <laughs> and it's all about outsourcing, you know, it's all about working remotely with virtual assistants and using virtual assistants and outsourcing solutions in order to grow and develop a business. Well, I also run a digital marketing agency and have done for many years as well. And I always say when people ask me about that, you know, it's kind of, it's not a deep seated passion of mine. It's kind of a day job. It pays the bills. It's one of the many businesses that I actually have, yeah. but it is something that I get a lot of exposure to. And I, what I would say about that when people ask me about it is my favorite part of it is I get to see how many different businesses make money. And exactly. so you get to see when you start talking about marketing and you talk about advertising, then in the process of that, you have to understand how they make their money and, you know, what type of return on investment do they get? You know, what are they expecting and all of the numbers and the metrics that go with that. And my favorite part is like, man, I didn't know that plumbers made so much money doing that. We need to get them more of those jobs, you know, just that it's really, yeah. really basic level. And 
you know, I've seen all sorts of businesses up and down the scale from startups to major blue chip corporations that we've worked with over the years. And it's still my favorite thing. And I think part of the reason that I've got so many fantastic skills in digital marketing is not because I've studied or I've got formal qualifications, but like you, I've just had years and years and years of exposure to other people's businesses and seeing what doesn't work. And inevitably, you know, for some businesses, I've seen, you know, you line up two electricians that look identical and you run advertising campaigns that are identical, like you have one client already, then you pick up a new client and you deploy similar campaigns, same, same, but different, but that doesn't work for the second guy because his business is different. His sales process is different. His KPIs are different. And there is no cookie cutter in this digital world that we live in. So I love your philosophy there. I think the way that you describe that is really, really, really uh, succinct and very good. Is it easy for clients to grasp that and to understand that? It depends on the level of experience of the client because there's a lot of clients who are sort of starting up, they hate their job, they've been given this idea, they found this guru and this guru's told them all you've got to do is to sit on the other and you're going to make money. So for some people who are very, still very naive about the digital world and working online and, and not realizing that an online business and growing it is exactly the same as growing an offline business, you know, it's just virtually instead of physically. To some of those people, it's very difficult to try and explain to them or describe to them. There isn't like a magic wand that you wave where you plug in and play. And, you know, like when I remember years ago when I first started virtual assistants, there was all these kind of like marketing funnel systems that you plug in and, mm -hmm. you know, like, and all they needed was a virtual assistant to set this up for them. And they're going to start churning over thousands of dollars overnight, you know, and all it requires is this, this and this. And, you know, I, I used to turn all of those clients down. So I was just like, you're going to be so disappointed with the results of this. So people like that are very difficult to convince. People who have had experience working online, been trying to do it themselves, maybe for one or two years, they already would have kind of like put the groundwork in, you know, like the foundation work in, they're realizing that this isn't as easy as it looks and that they do need some help and they do need some people consulting with them or supporting people are a little bit more easier to kind of ease into this idea that, you know, like we can try this, this has worked in the past, but that doesn't mean to say it's going to work for you. Let's look at probabilities. This is like, you know, what risk factor is this financially and things like that. So they understand that a lot more. Um, having had a little bit of experience under their belt of trying to work online themselves. Yeah, I think I'd echo everything that you said there as well. My experience has been that people, for some reason, think it's a magic solution, but it's, it's not. It can be. And I think that's part of the issue there is that all of the gurus online are perpetuating the fact that it is a magic solution. And in some circumstances, it is. But inevitably, my electrician business is not the same as your electrician business. You know, at its basic tradesman root and its core, our businesses are different. We might have the same job title and have the same qualifications and skills, but it doesn't mean that our businesses are going to be the same. So the deliverable for the people advertising and marketing inevitably has to be different. And you have to test and measure, test and measure, and you've got to keep testing and measuring until you get it across the line there. So very, very true. Interesting how we've both come from other sides of the world, but we've had the exact same experience with clients. That's really kind of cool in some ways. Tell me about your academy. All of these things that you've created in the last couple of years on the road, 
like, I'm just like lining these things up and asking these questions, man. That is, that is like go all in at its core. I love it. Tell me about the academy. Who are you training? Who are you teaching? What are you teaching? Okay. So I'll tell you a little story. In 2010, I was receiving so many questions from virtual assistants because they started to cotton on, oh, well, you're not in the UK. Where are you now? You're in Spain. You're in France. You know, like, where, what's going on? Like, how are you running your business? And things like that. And I used to get all these questions. And to answer them individually, it was just taking too much of my time. So I was following a guy online called Yaro Starek from Entrepreneur's Journey. And he released a program called Blog Mastermind and Membership Site Mastermind. And I was like, I had this idea. I was like, I literally just thought to myself, if I could answer all of these questions in one program or, you know, like one thing, I could just then give that to virtual assistants and then I wouldn't have to answer these questions again. <laughs> so, so that was... <laughs> So you created it out of desperation, really, because you're in boxing. Yeah, yeah, literally. I'm, I'm so, I always try and be helpful. Like, I, it's like yeah. I always, I love giving because I, I'm a firm believer in karma. I'm a firm believer in the more you give, the more you give. Yeah. So I wanted to give people a, a solution to this. I wanted to give myself a solution as well. Um, and I thought, right, I'll just follow these steps. So I started this blog. I built up an audience of about 500 subscribers. I took all these questions. I built this program of how to create a location-independent virtual assistant business online. And I put it out there just to this, this list of 500 people. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give this program free to seven people. And I literally thought I would be giving this program free to seven people. <laughs> like, that's it. I literally thought that's what would happen. So 34 people applied for this program. And I was like, all right, I've got to choose now who, who to take. So I chose the seven people out of the 34. And then I just thought, I'm going to go and I'm going to offer this program to the remainder of the people for $1,000. I made $19,000 immediately off the bat. And then I was just like, oh my God, it takes me like a month to make $19,000. And I just sent an email out and I made the same amount of money. So that was, that was to me like the moment where I was just like, there's got to be something more to this. And that's, that's how my academy started. It started with this one virtual assistant program. Now, because of the, I've come a lot further down the line, that was in 2010. So years of experience later, I have a program for just like basic freelance startup, not going full in. Then I've got the program that helps virtual assistants work and support other team members and things like that and working virtual teams. I have one specifically for becoming an entrepreneur in the virtual assistant space and hiring your own team members and working with clients. I have one that's on consulting, so providing a consulting service. And I'm about to release one now, which I'm so excited about which is teaching the one sourcing like systems support strategy to clients because now I'm, I'm really at capacity with clients, but I still want to help them still share the knowledge of how to build the business and do the operation from start to finish. So that's my next program. And I also do mentorship as well. So that's basically my academy in a nutshell. Well, is it an automated thing or are you, are you in there training and teaching and running and stuff? I'm so in there. I have to be in there. Oh my God. <laughs> um, for, for several reasons, really. One, because it's polite. You know, like if you're going to teach someone something, you've got to be in there to, to answer questions and things like that. So I have like monthly coaching calls um, that people get when they take my training. And I'm always getting together with these groups. And it's just so fabulous. I, I get together because they need it. And I get together because I need it. Because it's so amazing to hear these stories about what these people are doing with their businesses and, and how they're growing them and, and also how the community itself is also working together. 
I just get so much pleasure out of that. So yeah, it's not totally automated, but you know, like I do my free webinars and I bring people on board and then we all work together and it's just like fun, a big family. Yeah. In some ways it's more reward than the financial reward. There's nothing that makes you feel better than helping other people and and seeing them successful, especially if they got their back against the wall and and they're struggling as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and because of my community, there's a lot of females in my community and the majority of them are females, you know, to have people come to you when they're in situations where, you know, they don't want to leave their baby to go to work or they've yeah. just been made redundant or they really want to travel, but you know, like they're so unhappy in where they are and to be able to work with these people and see their lives change before your eyes. It's just extraordinary. How do you feel when you see those changes? Oh God, honestly, I, I am Christ. So <laughs> oh, you do? Really? Really? Yeah, yeah. Like, wow. I, get these, I get these amazing testimonials, like heartfelt testimonials about you changed my life and I followed everything you said. And then you just feel like, I don't know, you were put on this earth to do something and you found what you were supposed to do and you're doing it. And, and that to me is so special. But the amount of people whose lives changed and that's also impacted other, other people around them as well. It's, I don't know, words can't describe it really. Well, it's wonderful what you're doing because you're, you're dragging people one by one into the 21st century where they don't have to be tied to a corporate job, to a corporate desk, in a commute, in a place yeah. that they hate, with stuffy people they don't like. It's wonderful what yeah. you're doing. It's really good, really good. So oh, well, well you done so to you. So this is the Michelle that I see right here in front of me that I know that I've met. If I bumped into you in... 18 months time or we brought you back on the podcast in 18 months time how would you be different well that's a good question I think that I would have taken my business more in the direction of trying to service more clients on mass not through providing my services with my team but certainly doing the training and teaching and I definitely would be in a place where I'm doing a lot more public speaking I did a lot of public speaking um this last year I was I was able to go to so many places Portugal and Barcelona and I went to Bali and for me that was just like why hadn't I been doing this before you know I always turned these gigs down because I was such a geek you know I'm I'm stuck behind my computer I'm online I'm digital like and um yeah for me I really really enjoyed this is why I had difficulty answering that question because <laughs> yeah. the public speaking thing for me was is something very recent but I had such a blast and I've met so many great connections that I'm now working with and yeah so I definitely think you'll be seeing a lot more of me in person on the ground and I'm doing retreats now as well. So I, I think that's going to be part of my development in over the next 18 months. Well, that sounds really exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out and maybe we can bring you back on sooner than 18 months and see what happens with all of that. As we bring the interview to a close here, what would you say to a 17 year old girl in the last year of high school about to leave school? What would you say to her? Whatever it is that you love the most you'll make money from it and I'll help you do it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, like for me having left school at 16 and everyone telling me like my life would fall apart if I did that, it was like literally the best thing I ever did in my life. So mm-hmm. as much as I love university and college and there is a place for everything, we wouldn't have doctors, we wouldn't have lawyers, we wouldn't have scientists, you know, if it wasn't for these areas, If you don't love that, if you don't love the idea of continuing school, if you don't love the idea of going on to higher education, find whatever it is you love 
and then figure out how to make money from it because there is always a way, there is always a solution to that. So. Well, that's wonderful advice. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us and for sharing your epic go all in story. That was really, really cool. If people want to find out more about you, where can they find you? Where, how can they connect? They can go to www.virtualmissfriday.com. And if anyone wants to get access to my free blueprints for each of the things that I teach, they're really good starting bases to get started online. Um, then it's www.virtualmissfriday.com forward slash academy. Okay, excellent. Well, I'll make sure all of the links are included in the show notes. And if you haven't already subscribed to the Go All In podcast, just open up your favorite podcasting app and hit that subscribe button because that helps us a boatload. And if you like what you heard today in the interview with Michelle, if you could leave us a review, that'd be great. And if you didn't like it, leave us a review too. And we always like to see those and improve whenever we can. Well, that's it for this show. Thanks again, Michelle, for coming on. We look forward to revisiting with you again soon and we'll see you soon. Bye for now. Hey, thank you so much.